1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech Podcast by Collabra. Now, here at the Talking Biotech Podcast, we have over 400, well, we have exactly 400 episodes of discussion about technology to assist in food security, to cure most insidious diseases, and provide solutions that can mitigate environmental impacts of human activity. That's all good stuff. Now, these are pressing issues of our time. Today, episode 401 firmly falls into the arena of champagne problems. So let's get that out of the way here. Now, I love making guacamole. <laughs> the big downside is that if you're going to cut up all the ingredients and take the time to do it, you got to go big. Which leaves you with another first world problem, is how do you eat a half gallon of guac? And, and that's the point. You know that it's going to remain a nice funky green color for a while but then it will slowly senesce into a weird muddy brown sludge in just a few hours and there's not enough limes in china to stop that from happening so eight years ago almost to this day i interviewed the inventor of the non-browning apple the arctic apple and the promise was is that this fruit would turn brown slower adding value to processed apple products the same concept was at the root of the non-browning potato where 25% of spuds are lost to unattractive lesions. And the apple and the potato were achieved through biotechnology. Pretty cool. But the whole non-browning story really starts with Bruce's Sport. And Bruce's Sport was an oddball mutant sprout off of a Sultana grapevine. It was discovered in in a a vineyard in 1962 and gave rise to golden raisins. And it's a non-browning or slow browning, These traits are really important for horticulture because they're associated with keeping food attractive longer. And and, and just because it turns a little brown doesn't mean it's bad. It just makes it unattractive. So food waste is really an important issue here. And so back to avocados. Those of us that watched the apple and potato work, we sat around and scratched our heads and wondered why the engineering feat didn't translate to the most important browning afflicted crop products. That's avocados and bananas. And I think probably just about every scientist in biotech had some secret cockamamie scheme to do it. (laughs) Like, and we all thought this was the holy grail here, you know, if someone can do it, but figured it's somebody else's problem. You know, by the time I get going on it, it'll be done. So imagine my excitement last week when I read about the amazing breakthrough that will forever change my guacamole habit. And more importantly, support an agricultural industry to limit food waste increase the availability of a fruit loaded with healthy, complex oils. And today our guest is Dr. Jeff Touchman. He's the Vice President of Research and Operations at Green Venus. Welcome to the podcast,
2: Jeff. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: Yeah, I think this is totally cool. So, you know, Green Venus, I hate to say it, it wasn't necessarily on my radar before I read the recent news articles. And I really think if we understand Green Venus's mission, It'll help us understand the product a little bit better. So could you tell me a little bit about the company and what you do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Green Venus was established in 2020. And we're, a, we're an agricultural biotechnology company right here in Davis, California. So this is in California's Central Valley, where a great deal of the country's vegetables and fruits and, and nuts are produced. And, and we have a mission of creating fruits and vegetables that, that are more sustainable but most importantly, that the people enjoy. And we, and we do this using new plant breeding innovations that bring products to market much quicker than traditional and conventional breeding methods. But importantly, you know, our mission is to keep the consumer in mind as we work on, on these plants. Very
1: good. And the big news this week that caught my eye was the development of what might be a non-browning or maybe limited browning avocado. And anyone that loves avocados knows, you know, why this is important. But maybe somebody out there is in an avocado free zone, you know, places where they don't grow these or consume them. So, why does a non browning avocado matter?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, the world is really starting to, to pay attention to avocados. And right now, it's one of the fastest growing fruits in the world. And, and so it's, it's catching a lot of attention. It's being used in more and more cuisines. But anyone who's ever had an avocado or purchased them from a the store, know that, that they, they come with some drawbacks. And, and the number one consumer complaint with avocados is that their, their shelf life is, is short. That is, they, they brown fairly quickly, sometimes within minutes. You can put them out at a party, and in an hour or two later, you have to take them out, right, because of their browning. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a real issue, and it's, it, it, it's involved in consumer liking, of course. I think it limits its appeal. And it also limits, it has limitations to, to using avocado because of, of, of its shelf life within the supply chain as well.
1: No, very good. And, and what's really interesting about avocados, I do a little work with avocados, is that they really start that ripening process once they're picked. So it's really cool for a small farm, because, like we have, because we can grow avocados and pick a dozen for the market and then still leave a dozen on the tree that'll be good next week. So this process has a lot of nuances in avocado, but how much avocado really
2: goes to waste? Is there any idea on that? Well, we we can extrapolate, I think. You know, it's generally thought that in general, fruit browning is a problem and across all fruits, browning and and waste because of that it can be upwards of 40 to 50% of fruit that's discarded because of this discoloration. And so, when you think of a fruit like avocado which which is probably one of the 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 fruits most impacted by this type of a phenotype, it it could be upwards of maybe 50, 60%. We don't know yet for sure, but, but it's going to be at least that significant. Wow.
1: Yeah. And is the new avocado that's putatively coming along here, that's produced with the new breeding techniques, is that really designed for the fresh market consumer or really for the processing market?
2: You know, I I think it's going to be a blockbuster in both. You know, I I mean, I a lot of people maybe have had the I have in California the experience of going and 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 buying some packaged guacamole maybe in a deli section of your grocery store and taking it home and using it and just not really tasting, you know, the, the guacamole like it would like it would taste as if you made it yourself fresh. And so so in food service in particular, a non-browning avocado I, I think is will will allow sorts of, of things like guacamole to get away from, from technologies like acidification and, and suppressing the enzyme, things that really kind of affect the quality and the flavor of the product and, 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 and produce something that's just fresher tasting. So, so food service is definitely a place where we see, and restaurants, where there's a non-browning technology is going to be a boon. But you know, who wouldn't love to have an avocado that you can bring home and slice, eat half of it, and put it away for another week and then eat the other half. You know, right now you just can't do that. And so, so I, think it, I think it's going to have a, a big impact both in, in, in the processing market as well as the fresh market. So when we talk about limiting browning,
1: what is the process at the cellular level that's been disrupted? Right, so
2: so we've accomplished this non-browning by... by Knocking out or, or silencing one one single gene in avocado that's called polyphenol oxidase, and we'll just call that PPO for short. This this enzyme is is not new to science. This has been known for a long time as as the enzyme that causes browning in fruits, and 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 so a non-browning avocado wouldn't even be the the first produce that has been engineered to reduce browning through the the knockout of this gene. So we have non-browning potato, we have non-browning mushrooms. Green Venus has produced a non-browning romaine back in 2019, and there's a non-browning apple. All of these have targeted the activity of these PPO genes. And so this this enzyme will take natural phenolics in the plant and in combination with oxygen, turn them into these compounds called quinones, which you know gradually will will turn into melanins. And, and we all know that melanins are, are what causes this, this browning color. So, so PPOs have been known for a long time to be the responsible enzymes for, for the browning reaction in cut vegetables and fruits. So that was our target. Oh, very cool. So, but ripening in avocados, PPO activity
1: and the browning that occurs, that's really just one aspect of this whole process. And in, when you eliminate PPO, do you have other changes, say, in texture or oil content, maybe the way it tastes or smells it? Anything else that you notice is affected
2: we're We're not sure yet because we haven't studied it, but we 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 have some indications of what might happen based on these other fruits and vegetables where they've where they've disrupted the the p p o gene and so let's take the apple, for instance there's a, a Oak, Okanagan Specialty Fruits in Canada has produced a, a product called the Arctic Apple that has silenced the PPO gene. There are orchards now, big orchards in, in Canada and Washington state that are, that are growing these Arctic apples. And and, and they and I've had these apples, you can buy them off of the Amazon marketplace now in bags. It's an excellent tasting apple and I detect no difference in texture, in, in, in flavor. You know, they, it'll just non-brown. Now, if you leave them out on a plate, they they may start to desiccate and right, like any fruit would, and so that would change your your texture at all. But we're not anticipating, and we we think the story is the same with other fruits and vegetables where PPO has been disrupted, including our non-browning romaine. We're not expecting any change in texture or taste, except in, in maybe in a positive sense. And so, f- with our non-browning romaine product that we've produced here at Green Venus, we've actually Detected an increase in antioxidants, which antioxidants are phenolic compounds, and so PPO will break these down. So when you disrupt PPO, you're actually inhibiting the the degradation of these antioxidants in, in the product, and so they're more of them around when you eat them, and and that could also improve flavor. So so and so in fact, I think it could go the other way, Kevin. And so uh, silencing PPO could actually increase our flavor a, a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Story to jump the gun there a little bit. I, I, the, I think this, this all changed for me because the picture that was circulating on Twitter showed an avocado, you know, cut open and nice and green, and I thought I must be done. And yeah. really, yeah. so where
2: is it exactly in the process? When we announced this, our, our breakthrough last week, we, we have plants, trees. I guess you call them. We call them plantlets, but they're about six or seven inches tall right now. But we have now confirmed. That you know the PPO gene has been disrupted, and 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 the genetic changes are there like we wanted. And these plantlets are vigorous; they're rooting, they're growing very strong, producing lots of leaves. We'll be moving to the soil within within days now, and so so these are very young trees. We we have not produced fruit yet, so that will be the biggest test of, of non browning, of course. But by all indications, by all the science we know about PPO and its activity and and other fruits and vegetables, that this will be a non-browning avocado. So we're really excited about it. We wanted to get the word out. Yeah,
1: very good. And, and how challenging is it to transform avocado? Like, you know, getting a foreign gene in some plants, like tobacco or petunia, you look at it funny and it goes in. But some of them are really challenging. And as I understand, avocado is one tough cookie.
2: You know it is, and and we're so grateful to 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 our financial backers that have sticked with with us. This was this was this has been a six year journey, working on on avocado and getting it, getting it to transform. And you're exactly right. The the obstacle to creating a non-browning avocado has really been the the science of tissue culture and 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 transformation. That is getting getting the you know getting the 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 editing machinery into the cell and, and it is required. And, and, you know, the, the side of the road is littered with researchers that just have given up, but, but we stuck with it. And, 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 the key was, was really to produce avocado cells. So we, so we used a technology called protoplasts, and that is you're taking an adult cell cell of, of avocado and you're, you're stripping the cell wall off, off of it. And then, and then you're transforming it. You know, you're get you're getting the, the the, we can talk about this later, but the the editing machinery inside the cell to make the very specific, delicate changes to the genome that will knock out the gene and nothing else, and then coax that cell to regenerate to 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 form a a fully a fully realized avocado tree, and so so that developmental process is the challenge, and and we went through, well, it, like I said, it took six years and and countless variations of different medias that include nutrients and plant growth factors and getting that combination exactly right, you know, cycles of light and dark and temperature, all of these things went into to to coax these cells to regenerate into plants. And we finally landed on that recipe. Yeah. And just to fill
1: it in for folks who are from animal systems or bacterial systems, others who have these kinds of background, doing plant tissue culture is really this process of taking a plant cell and exploiting what's called totipotency. It's the ability to take a plant cell and have it redifferentiate into an entire plant. So when you cut the basal plant and you stick it in a glass of water and those cells on the end of a stem arise as roots rather than leaves, it, it's a, a really cool property plant cells have. So if you have one cell and you can create the edit of interest, you can, if you have the means as has been discovered here, you can now turn that one cell into a little clump of cells and ultimately into a whole new plant that is a clone of that first cell. So that's why this works. And let's talk about the technology. So you said this is a gene edited thing. So was this done with a kind of the CRISPR-Cas9 system where you selectively edited PPO? So it's
2: not a transgenic,
1: right? It, or, or is it?
2: No, that's right. Yep, we used CRISPR-Cas9, which I'm which I'm sure your audience has probably heard about before on your program. And and importantly though, you know, it, it this is a non you're right, it's a non-transgenic process. We we call the process DNA-free. So, we were able to to put the the CRISPR machinery, which is RNA-based as you know, into the cell without without using a a DNA vector so to speak that that would have to be sort of, you know, Removed or bred out later. That, that's to the, that, that's a little bit of an intractable problem in fruit trees because you, it's difficult to make crosses and it takes decades, right? So, so it was very important that this was a DNA free process. So CRISPR machi- machinery goes in, edits are made, and then that CRISPR machinery is just degraded within the cell and it just disappears. And so it's like we weren't even there. Um, and that's, yeah. that's the technology that we used.
1: No, that's perfect. And so why do you think it took so long? So we, we had apples and potatoes. Those have been done. Those boxes mm-hmm. checked. Yet yeah. the two most important crops for this to be accomplished in would be bananas and avocados. So why did it take so long to get to those two? Is it really just a transformation question?
2: Uh, uh, you know, I think so. There's also a, a trepidation, I think, to, to, to work in trees. You know, from a, from a business perspective, you know, you're looking at 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 long product development times, you know, and in today's funding, I don't want to get too much into the business side of this, but you know, in today's funding type environments, you know, investors like fast returns. And so there's been a lot of work in vegetables and things that can be come to market quickly and, and we're in that space as well. But tre- trees is an investment. And even academically, trees are an investment, right? These are you know, to, to coax a graduate student into working on a tree with this long <laughs> developmental time. You may not see the results in in your time at the university, right? So, 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 so I think it, it really takes some fortitude to kind of attack a problem like this. And so that, that's part of it, but you know, the, the space is certainly heating up. I know that we have competitors also working in avocado and some, some very, very talented researchers and, and, and other. And other companies and even institutions that are working in this space. And so, so I, I think this area will, will pick up. But I think that, that, I mean, as far as I know, that's, that's the question. I mean, uh, I think that you know, you've said it before, and I certainly have too. Boy, non-browning is such an obvious target, yeah. you know, in, 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 in avocado and banana, because it's, it's two of the things that all of us as consumers have, have experienced the downsides of.
1: Yeah, and there's not a plant molecular biologist out there that hasn't stared at the ceiling, counting dollar (laughs) signs, thinking, if I can do this. (laughs) So we're talking with Dr. Jeff Touchman. He's the vice president of research and operations at Green Venus. And this is Collabra's Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Collabra the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Collabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit collabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.
1: And now we're back on Calabra's Talking Biotech Podcast, and we're speaking with Dr. Jeff Touchman. He's the vice president for research and operations at Green Venus. And they've come up with the first trees that we are aware that have the non-browning trait engineered into avocado, a fruit that desperately needs the non-browning trait. So this is fantastic stuff. The big question is: is that there are many kinds of things that are avocados. If you discover or you study the diversity of this crop, there, are, you know, from the West Indies types to the Guatemalan, to the Mexican varieties, so many. But the industry standard is this Hass avocado. And was your non-browning avocado derived from Hass, or is it some other cultivar?
2: That's an interesting question. When we when we got started, of course, we our, our goal was to work in hass because as, as you correctly mentioned you know hass hass represents about estimates are that it represents about 80% of of Haas avoc- of avocados that are consumed globally so so it's certainly the the gorilla in the room our experience and others i should say is that it's also the most difficult of all of the cultivars of avocado to work with it just didn't want to perform in, in tissue culture so so in fact our first avocado that we've edited for for the non-browning trait that will come out of the gates is in a variety that's called Bacon which was was found on someone's property in Buena Vista, California back in the late 1940s. The owner was James Bacon, so the, the variety is actually named after him. And before Hass came along, Bacon avocado at least in California was the primary cultivated avocado that that was available. So so it's a it's a it's a green-skinned variety. The skin is a little bit thinner than Haas avocado. And it's generally, uh, people describe it as having a slightly milder taste than avocado. So a lot of that, 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 that then, I'm sorry, a slightly milder than Haas. Haas has a slightly higher oil content, and that gives its, its, its traditional, you know, its creamy, almost buttery type of a flavor. So, But, but in taste tests, bacon, bacon scores very, very high. Some people even prefer it. So, so that will be the first one. But but Hass is right on its heels, and so we've made the breakthrough in Hass as well, and the the editing is is in progress right now for Hass and several other commercial varieties like it's like Zutano. We're working on a variety called Lula, which is it's a, a fairly cold tolerant variety that I think is grown in Florida, and we have several others in, in in the wings as well. There's a really nice variety that I think in the pedigree of Hass it's called Gem. It just came came off of its patent. It was a, a really beautiful variety that was developed at the University of California in Riverside. And so that's something we're, we're interested in looking at as well.
1: Yeah, super cool. I, I love that avocados getting a little bit of a resurgence, mm-hmm. not just in that more people are eating Hass avocados, which which also was a chance tree that showed up in someone's yard. That was <laughs> Rudolph Hass. He was a pro- postman who found this tree in his yard and never knew he would... Re- hey, I wonder how many dollars he got from this. But but, but there's so much variety that's out there. And it's really cool that you're exploring that a bit. And I grow Lula when I can. It it doesn't like below 25 Fahrenheit and we get one night a year below that. So tree isn't exactly having a great time here. But going back to this, the whole story about the gene edit, when you're doing gene editing, one of the big criticisms is that you get these off-target effects. And have you checked for those or is there any evidence of that? or, Or does it look like you're getting the edit you're looking for?
2: The biggest concern that you should have around editing is that, particularly if you're if you're editing a, a gene in a in a gene family. So there there are four PPO genes in avocado, and we only think there's one that's important to confer the non-browning phenotype, and we don't want to mess with the others. And so, but they're all similar because they're all of the, have the same gene family. So one of the things that we do routinely as a matter of practice is we go in and when we study the sequence. After the editing has occurred, study the sequence of these other PPOs to make sure that we haven't accidentally edited those as well. And so, and if we have, we just throw those out. And then we also do a very careful screen of, of any places in the genome that, that have any similarity to, to the targeting mechanism of the CRISPR complex to, to make sure that we haven't introduced an edit somewhere else in the genome that might hit a gene that was unintended. And so, in all those cases, those are those are bars that we must re- must reach before we move a product forward. You know, and as to the the notion that there might be other wild off-target effects happening with CRISPR, I think the science is fairly clear now, and and shows that this is work done in corn and in tomato and rice that that this level of 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 off-target CRISPR edits is 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 at or below the the mutation. The, the random mutation rate you might see in conventional breeding and is really nothing to worry.
1: Yeah, very well stated. That it, it poses no more risk than traditional breeding and I, I think that that's a really right. important point. But the other criticism you always hear is that a non-browning or a slow browning fruit. Browning is an important visual signal for the freshness of the of the fruit item and that you know browning it's it's a flag that says well maybe there's something wrong with the fruit quality, maybe it's not going it's not maybe it's going bad. And so, if you take away the browning, how do you know an avocado is
2: not good? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I should emphasize that that having an innate trait within avocado that 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 inhibits browning and delays browning does not mean that the fruit won't go brown at all, right? There, are, there are other things that may contribute to browning in a cut product's life cycle, so to speak, right? So there, so you know, as, as a as a cut fruit sits around you're going to get microorganisms that that start to be involved in the spoilage of that fruit just like with any other cut fresh produce and so 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 it's not going to be a a a product that that has an infinite non-browning type of appearance as long as you hold on to it. it it will start to decompose it's we're not inhibiting any sort of kind of pest resistance so to speak right and so so i would say it would have the same type of a shelf life an appearance of, of 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 so consumability as as any other produce that has that doesn't have a browning problem, right? I mean, if you have a have produce that you've been saving in your fridge for two weeks, and I don't know, I might just throw that out anyway because you don't know how it might be a, a tra- attracting things like microorganisms and such. That's that's how I look at it. That's true, but then the also
1: the the browning process is not linked to aspects of other aspects of ripening, like you know breakdown of cell walls and and pectinester right. and stuff. So you sting will still get soft and mushy and weird, even if it doesn't turn as brown. So you still have that, right. that to think about. So that's good. I, you know, one of my goals here on the podcast is to kind of fortify the listener with all the questions they're going to get at the cocktail party. And so, <laughs> so when I'm asking you questions that I already have answers to, it's really just so you could tell them. Yeah. So with those of you who, so a lot of folks have questions about the regulatory environment, especially around gene editing. And can you give us a sense around? what the regulatory hurdles are for your product and where it is in that process.
2: Yeah. So the good news there is that we have already submitted our non-browning avocado product to the USDA, and this was done back in 2020. And we have we've already achieved non-regulated status for, for our product. It went through a process called, it's called the MI regulated process, which has now been superseded with, with different rules. But would still pass under even the current rules, and and it and it and it, it 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 achieved that lack of regulation because the USDA had already had experience in examining other products with with that have had the PPO gene knocked out of them. So I'm talking specifically about the, the non-browning white mushroom, and and of, and of course other, other pro, our romaine lettuce, other other products like that. So. And they also they 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 judge it on on will this edit confer some type of plant pest risk? And that not being the case with this particular gene edit and and in the PPO gene itself, they deemed that they didn't need to to regulate it as such. Now, we've also are planning we are planning to to voluntarily work with the FDA to look at our product, look at its nutritional profile, its its allergenicity profile. We're not expecting any sort of hurdles there. but, but we plan to do that just voluntarily as well to get the FDA seal of approval. Sure.
1: And, that, and in due time, of course. But when, 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 if things go just perfect, when is it that you may see the first fruits and when is it that this may be available for
2: consumers? That's a good question. Things are moving fast, uh, but, but trees grow as fast as tree, trees grow. And so we, 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 we know some tricks. We have some horticulturists on our staff that know some tricks. We feel that we can our first fruits are probably, I like to talk in months because months go fast, but we could probably see our first fruits in 24 months. In anticipation that that these non browning products will, will want to be grown broadly, we are propagating these plants. We have technology around avocado propagation as well in our lab. And so we are propagating. That is making lots of clones of all of these plants very early on. So we're starting this process right now. So we're expecting to get early adopters of of these non-browning scions, we call them, and, and get them onto grafted rootstocks and 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 into test test trials, you know, as as early as as twenty four months. When will we see it from a consumer's perspective? That's going to depend on a lot of of, of industry adoption. You know, the unfortunately the the, the trend in, in in fruit trees is to is to look at the performance of these things over over many, many years before there's wide adoption. I think that this trade is so groundbreaking that we might see some early adoption, but it's not going to take quite as long. But it still could take three to five years before we start to see this at a meaningful scale. Yeah, I can
1: think of three or four companies that would love to plant this product because they have so many added value, value added products or restaurant associated food service. That would love to see this trait, and I, I think you are have no problem finding adopters for this thing. Well, let's you know maybe zoom out a little bit more, and you know what other products are happening in the pipeline at
2: Green Venus. Well, you know we we have further plants for avocado beyond non-browning, for instance. We haven't talked about avocado rootstocks, but but rootstock traits are also very important for avocado. You know, in, in terms of increasing resiliency to. Um, salinity and, and, and suboptimal soils, water use efficiency, things like that. These are disease resistance, of course, is a very big one. You know, these, these are very big traits that, that influence and could have a big impact on, uh, on the avocado growers industry. And so we've we re- reached out and are working with a lot. We have a lot of conversations ongoing with, with growers in the industry around some of those traits that they find of, of value. We think that a small seed or a seedless avocado could be an interesting interesting product, and so we're doing some some informal consumer research on that right now. you know, and beyond that, there's we have a lot of interest from everything from from other vegetables that that have a lot of key consumer traits that that are, that 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 we can influence, such as tastier tomatoes, more more colorful tomatoes and more colorful strawberries, more better tasting strawberries, things like that. I mean. There's there's such a broad palette right now with with new technologies, new breeding technologies being brought to bear on fruits and vegetables that that we're going to let the marketplace you know guide our direction. But, but we have a lot of, of, of good ideas. We have a lot of good foundational science now and systems that can make this happen. And so we're we're looking forward to the future of green venus. Yeah, it's super cool. So, are, do people who are consumers of
1: fruits and vegetables look for the Green Venus brand or are you really just somebody who licenses these really good technologies to other retailers?
2: Yeah, yeah, today we're a technology company today and so you you probably won't see the Green Venus Venus brand yet, particularly if it ends up in in food service channels, but who knows? We've we've talked about vertically integrating and maybe becoming a, a grower ourselves and, and a producer. We'll see. We'll see what the future holds. But right now, you'll probably see a brand could be a Dole a non-browning avocado, right? Or 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 something like that. I, I'm just using that as an example. We're not discussing that with them. But but the, that that's the answer to that question. No,
1: yeah. very very good. Well, this is super exciting. So you know, Jeff Touchman, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. And I really hope that I can extend an invitation now for as this progresses, please check back in and we'll update our listeners as to what this product is and where it is in the pipeline.
2: Thank you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast and it was just really a delight to, to talk about this with you today. I, I neglected to ask you, where can people find out more about it? Sure. You can find more information of what's happening at Green Venus at greenvenus.com. And if you have any uh, follow-up questions for me, that I can I can answer, email me at info at greenvenus.com. And that email address works because that's how I got
1: in touch with you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so for all the listeners, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast and joining me in thinking about a future of green guacamole that lasts more than a few days or a few hours or minutes, as it were. This is just another exciting application of the technology. But the reason it's so cool is non-browning avocados are in the same camp with things like insulin and sickle cell disease, where these are technologies that people can relate to and can see the benefits and can see how they can affect their lives as well as the lives of others. So it's very exciting technology that I hope you learn more about. This is the Talking Biotech podcast by Collabra, and we'll talk to you again next week.
0: You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Collabra